Um, anytime we get to the end of a, of a class, I always, uh, one of the things that always I think of that challenges me is, okay, we're done studying the book, now are we also done using the book in our life? Because, uh, let's face it, the purpose of, of doing these exercises is to challenge us in our sanctification in our growth, and uh, like Paul said in the book here in chapter 12, as he got to the practical application of uh, the doctrines that he covered, the basic primary doctrine, the overflowing doctrine, is the doctrine of the gospel. What does the gospel mean? And uh, I used to think, you know, when I first got saved, okay, I know the gospel, I got saved. But it's much more than that, isn't it? As we've seen, as we go through the book of Romans... It's not just the faith that we have, but it's how we carry that out in our life, in our practical everyday lives. And that's what Paul really is challenging the Romans, a church he's never been to. And he challenges them with that thought of, okay, here uh, we, uh, you're saved, here's the gospel, here's how it's been delivered to you, here's how it's affected your life. But now, how are you living your life out in accordance with that? And we're going to actually see the very last thing he says in chapter 16 today is going to be uh, along that same line. So that would be my challenge as we think here, um, as we finish out the book, is, okay, how am I going to carry forth and use uh, this book in my life? I just got stabbed with a... Long sliver under here. I better keep my hand off the podium. Um, how, are, how am I going to use this in my life going forward in our day-to-day life? How does it change us uh, for, the, for God's purposes? So we're going to be in the second part of chapter 15, and we are going to uh, get through 16 and finish the book today. Next week, Wayne starts uh, the book of Micah, so I'll be reading it. Uh, in the Old Testament, pastor is teaching through Isaiah. I taught through Hosea. And Micah was a contemporary of both of those, Isaiah and Hosea. Uh, a little shorter ministry than Hosea as he ran through uh, uh, much of the uh, uh, latter kings of, of uh, Israel and had a ministry of some 70 years. Uh, Isaiah runs... Uh, later on, after the uh, uh, captivity of the northern tribes, and Micah is right in the right in that same area, that time of the captivity of the northern tribes. So that'll be an exciting book to go through too. <clears throat> Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, this time that we can gather together. We thank you so much for your word and uh, what it means to us, how we can apply it in our lives. Help us, Lord, to take uh, Romans and not just uh, have a book study out of it and a book review, but, uh, Lord, that we would utilize the things that we've learned in our lives. And uh, we just ask your blessing on the lesson today, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would be at work in our midst. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things... um, that we get confronted with when we go to Scripture uh, is the fact that 
Uh, all scripture is what? Given what? By inspiration of God. And it's profitable. As pastor always says, we look at the verbs. And we're going to see that today as Hosea, or as, uh, yeah, right, I'm going back to the Old Testament. As Paul is uh, talking to the Romans, as he's finishing up this letter, the whole issue of how he addresses them. So we're going to see issues of leadership. Uh, we're going to see issues here of uh, warnings that are given. And we're going to see how, uh, how uh, he finishes off uh, not only the fulfillment of his ministry, but also the fulfillment of his tra- travel plans, which is, he's looking forward to, and how that's going to affect in his life. So let's turn to chapter 15 and look at verses 14 through 21. 14 through 21. And we're going we're gonna to go through these, uh, not read them necessarily verbatim, but go through them in, uh, in a sketchy way as Paul deals with here with the fulfillment of his ministry. And as I alluded to in 2 Timothy 3.16, uh, Paul tells Timothy there that the word of God is profitable. And in what ways? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And you could look at that and say two pluses, two minuses, two negatives, two, two pluses, or however you want to describe it. But the Word of God does all these things. You know, doctrine would be teaching. Some would say reproof is how to keep it right, the teaching right. Then he talks about instruction in righteousness and then correction and uh, how to make it right by correcting so all these things have to be included, and you know what? They're all included in each of our lives. We need all four of those. And that sometimes kind of goes against our, our grain a little bit, goes, definitely goes against our pride, that we need to be reproved and, reproved and we need to be corrected in our spiritual life. But that's what the Word of God is. And as Paul enters this part of it here, the fulfillment of his ministry... I want us to see not only what he's acknowledging here to this Roman church, but the leadership he's exercising, and it's a leadership that we should be uh, familiar with from our own experiences in our local church. So as pastor is, is preaching to us, it's not only to teach us, and it's not only to instruct us, but it's to correct us and reprove us. And those things are hard, but they're a must to have what we would want to call a biblical ministry. Are we open to them, and are we willing to accept them in our lives? That's, I think, part of what we can see as we go through this this, uh, last chapter and a half in Romans. And it's not the most comfortable thing for us, but it's a necessity in our life. So he's here comfortable in the first verses 14 and 16, I'm going to say he's comfortable in being bold. Now we can say, well, Paul was an apostle. You're going to see here, he does not recognize himself as an apostle here. He's going to recognize himself as a minister or a servant uh, to the church. We know he's an apostle. We know that's a special office that God called 
uh, uh, men too, uh, but it didn't make them perfect. They're still human beings. They still have the same issues as you and I. So he says in verse 14, I myself am satisfied about you. So he's going to acknowledge them here in some things, which I think is good. My brethren, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But, and those, these little three-letter words we keep bumping into, for and but, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So we got one of Paul's long sentences here. But the issue he's, he's, he's addressing here is he has confidence in them where they are in their spiritual life. But he's also identified the fact that he's had to exercise boldness. Why? Because there's areas that they needed correction in. There's areas that they needed reproof in. We're not going to go back over them. Uh, hopefully you can read through and, uh, you know, we've seen them already and you'll read through and, and study them yourself. But his goal was to be the minister that God wanted him to be. And I think we can make perfect application with that in today's uh, local church. The pastor that God wants him to, wants our pastor to be. But that includes all four of those elements. Teaching, correction, reproof instruction and in righteousness, all these things. A big part of Romans here is instruction and in righteousness. How can we be a, live a more sanctified life? How can we grow in our, spiritual, in our spiritual path? And the reason he says for this in verse 16 is to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Now, that was not a popular thing, was it? Later on, we're going to see a little bit of allusion to the fact that was not a popular thing amongst the Jews that Paul, who was a Jew, was ministering to the Gentiles. And he says, in the priestly service. Now that's an interesting phrase. He calls it a priestly service. And I don't know if you'd call this a metaphor, just what some of you are, you can, you can tell me after we read it. Um, but he's identifying himself in a priestly position to deliver a service of what? an offering of the Gentiles to God. And this is how he's describing his ministry to the Gentiles, as an as a offering that he wants to see as pleasing to God of the Gentiles who are getting saved. And they are now a part of, of uh, God's plan, and are a part of God's plan, and his salvation plan. That was a foreign thing to the Jews, that's, that's some of what he fought earlier, the Jewish influence in that. But Paul identifies himself here in that manner. And that's taking on a, quite a responsibility, isn't it? And we know his ministry. We're going to see it later on as he illustrates uh, uh, the extent of his ministry to the Gentile people. But that's what Paul is looking at here. He's comfortable in being bold and stating uh, not only some of the things, a reminder of some of the things that they might need, but the understanding of his role in presenting the ministry in such a way to the Gentiles that he can offer up people who are sanctified, set aside to God, and living a life that is going to be 
pleasing to God. And that's what he views his ministry. How about us? Now, we're not ministers to the Jews versus the Gentiles. It's, you know, the same, uh, same Lord overall is rich unto all. But how about our ministry? What are we going to be able to lay at Jesus' feet, so to speak, in terms of a ministry that is pleasing to God? What do we have to offer? That comes back to the challenge of us using the abilities that God has given us for his purposes. That also comes back to us that we become sanctified. We should grow in God's grace and in his knowledge and be able to utilize that in the ministry to other people, whether it be family members or church members here, young people, whatever it might be. How are we doing that? So that's a challenge to us. Then also we see here uh, he's comfortable in boasting. Now it's a limited boasting, but in verses 17 through 21, look at me quickly here as we breeze through this. In Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Now that word for, remember when we see these buts and fours and in the word of God. We, we got we to gotta pause and see what it's there for. When, when he says for, he's now going to explain what he means by a reason to be proud. He's going to explain that. Why? Because he ventures to speak of anything, he will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. There's our word, Obedience. What have we been on now the last few weeks? Chapter 12 on is the issue of the obedience to what he preached and taught in the first 11 chapters. The doctrinal part. And our obedience, and the primary issue is our obedience to the gospel. What does it mean to be saved? It doesn't just mean to be rescued from hell and now I can live as I want. No, if we're saved, there should be a process in our life of growing in our our faith and our knowledge, and sanctification being set apart. There should be, we should have a life that people around us can see is different. They may not understand exactly what it is. Uh, I've been called a number of things from family members in years past, but that's okay. The whole issue here is growth and sanctification. That's what he is proud of, that he's able to... to, to uh, a complete a ministry in Jesus Christ to the Gentiles by word and deed. And then he goes on by the powers and signs and want, the power of signs and wonders. Now, we're not going to spend any time on that, but that's simply the issue there is authentic, uh, the, the miracles that he could do and the signs he could do were what? To authenticate his ministry as an apostle. Remember, he was an apostle out of season. He wasn't part of the 12 disciples. And when Judas was cast aside... Uh, we see the other disciples uh, become apostles, but we see now Paul is called special by God to be an apostle on the Damascus Road. <clears throat> so he was out of season, if you will. It was after Jesus not only had resurrected, but he had also went to heaven. He was no longer on earth here. And, and uh, he comes to him in a special way, not in a public way. So it was not a demonstration that the Jews could see. So there was always a question. If you remember when uh, I taught through 1st, 2nd Corinthians and Galatians, 
he spent a lot of time in those books doing what? Vindicating the fact that he was an apostle. Proving that he was an apostle. Because many, of, many people rejected him as an apostle. And here he goes on to, to say that it was proven by signs and wonders. There was a vindication of his apostleship that the Spirit of God had given him. And then he goes on, he says, so from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, Illyricum, pardon me, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. That's why this is up here. Now he's going to go on to explain the reason he wants to go to Spain, which isn't shown on here. His desire is to go to Rome, up there, Italy, but he's going to go on to explain that he has fulfilled his ministry in this whole area. And all the way up to Illyricum, which is uh, above Macedonia, so it would be uh, northwest of uh, Corinth. Here's Corinth. And that would be, uh, my understanding would be, that that is an area that was, um, used to be Yugoslavia, and I believe is now Albania. <coughs> And he's saying that he has covered that whole area. And he's fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ to all those peoples. The churches that were planted, etc. And now his desire is to go to Rome. And uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But not only go to Rome, but go to Spain. So he, uh, he, he believes he's fulfilled his ministry. He's done what God has called him to do in this area. And because of this... He, he, uh, he, he uh, says that he feels a sense of being able to boast or he's proud of the ministry. Now, not in the way we, we may talk about it, but uh, he's able to do that. And he says in verse 20, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. So his desire is to go into areas that have not been ministered to now, I would think when, uh, when uh, uh, this letter is being read, and back in uh, chapter 1, verse 15, he acknowledges his desire to come to Rome to minister to the saints at Rome. That's the first thing they see. I think this is exercising wisdom and leadership. Because now he's going to hit on the, the, the fact of what he really wants to do and there's going to be a little tension that comes in here in a few verses. Because his desire is not to build on somebody else's foundation. Well, is there a church in Rome? Yes. Has it been there for some time? Yes. Started out as a Jewish church. When the Jews got kicked out, it became you know, completely a, a Gentile church. And now we see some Jews that went back there. But... He, he does not want to build on somebody else's foundation. He wants to minister to him, but he's got another purpose that's going to come on here. And then we see uh, Isaiah 52, uh, 15 quoted here. Those who have never been told of him, of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. And we know that if we go back to, to Isaiah, that is primarily talking about the second coming of Christ. But we're seeing a broader application. Now, we've seen... Paul do this many times. Take Old Testament scriptures and stretch them to multiple purposes. And pastors said this many times with, with prophecy. You've got the close by and you've got the far off. 
And here we see him using that again, as he's using this as, a, as an application to his ministry going to people that need to hear the gospel. They need to hear the gospel, and they need to understand. Has the Roman church been there? Yes. He's, he acknowledged back in verse 14 their knowledge and their goodness and their instruction to one another. And here again he's talking about the fact that they have, that they, that they have fulfilled this ministry or this prophecy here, but he wants to fulfill it further. So how is he going to do that? Well, we get down into verses 22 through 29, we see the hopeful travel plans. And we're going to do a little gymnastics here. We're going to jump down to verse uh, um, 25 through 27 first. Because he said, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. What? For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution. And you can see up there the area in the, in the yellow and below it the green. Achaia is where Corinth is and uh, uh, Sincrea is. And above there, Macedonia, Thessalonians, the Philippi church, and so on. These are Gentile churches in Gentile areas. And he is acknowledging that here that they have a contribution for the poor. Now, when we went through Corinthians, uh, we talked about that. The, the need for the Gentile believers to honor the Jewish people who were poor. Why? Because when Jews got saved, they lost everything. They lost their homes in many cases because they were living with parents. If they didn't get saved, they were, they were dismissed from their homes. They, they lost their jobs because they probably worked with their mom and dad in some kind of a, 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 a job. So it was really hard on the Jewish Christians. And he's going to say here again how these Gentiles need to understand their responsibility. So do we, to the Jewish believers. For they were pleased, in verse 27, to do it, and indeed they owe it to them, for if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing, they ought also to be service to them in material blessing. So plain and simple, what he's saying here is, and he's, he's went through this in previous chapters, how the Jews were responsible for bringing the scriptures and, and this whole Old Testament history that's, that's come down to, now to the Messiah coming. They reject the Messiah. And we'll see uh, uh, in a little bit here, uh, going back to Acts, where, where Paul dusts his feet off and he says, I'm not, not going to go to the Jews any longer. You rejected. I'm going to the Gentiles. I had a responsibility to come to you first. He still does that when he goes into these cities. He'll go to the synagogues and teach. But his primary ministry is to Gentiles. And he understands that. So here we see a pattern of Gentile responsibility, including us. But for the purposes of what he's writing here, we see him clarifying the fact of why he wants to go to Jerusalem. He's not asking them to send support for him to go to Jerusalem. But we're going to see on both sides of 25 and 27, he is asking for something. So the second part here, not, the first was going to Jerusalem, now it's going to Rome, verses 20 through 24 and 28 and 29. And he, he lists two reasons to visit. The hindrance uh, that's been removed and is longing to see them. Verse 22. For this is the reason why I have so often been hindered, or uh, uh, you could say an ongoing uh, problem that was uh, beset him, from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, that was his problem. He needed, God wanted him to fulfill the ministry and the areas 
that he has already recited and will recite uh, again to us. And, uh, uh, well, he did recite it from Jerusalem up to Illyricum. And he says here, that's been accomplished. So I've longed for many years to come to you. And he, now he, he hits the tension area. In uh, verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Now, verse, chapter 1, verse 15, he didn't say Spain. He just said, come to them. And now he's saying, I want to I touch base with you on my way to Spain. Why? To be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem. Then he goes on to what we've already read. So his issue here, what he wants from them, is he wants assistance from the Christians at Rome. And that's what I would call the tension. It's a little tension verse that comes because up to this point in the letter, that hasn't been the issue at all. But now it is, and he's addressing it. To me, that's leadership. That, that's leadership that uh, any, any person that's called to the pastorate has to have that wisdom and leadership how to lead a church into issues that are sensitive or can be sensitive, even divisive. How are they led? And how do we respond to that leadership? Do we, do we understand that the grace that God has given to Ephesians chapter 4 to these special people that he's called out? In our, in our day and age, we'd be pastors, we'd be evangelists, we'd be missionaries, that God has called for special purposes, and how are we to help them on their way to where God is seeming to lead them? And you could drop down to verse 28, and he says, when therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them, that's to Jerusalem, what I have been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I'll come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So here's, here's his issue with Rome. He's expecting Rome to finance his ministry uh, to Spain. That's what he's looking for. And he's counting on these Gentile Christians just like when he went to uh, Corinth and he said, Thessalonica gave to me out of their poverty. I expect you to give to me out of your wealth. And that, that should be an eye-opener for all of us. Uh, our wealth should not be in cars and houses and lake homes and all that. Not that they're wrong. They can be there. But our wealth should be in what we can do for the ministry of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to be rewarded for. And that's his challenge here to the people at Rome. So there's a missions offering that he's looking for, if you will, and going on. Um, so uh, in verse, uh, oh, the, the only thing I was going to say in, in verse 24b, the verb there to be helped, uh, uh, the ESV has it correct, uh, but it's it, to be helped or to be uh, assisted. It's a financial connotation, is the, is the verb tense in the original language. Then the third one is verses 30 through 33 is Spain. I appeal to you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints." Now, was he delivered from the unbelievers in Jerusalem? 
what happened in Jerusalem when he went there with the offering. He was attacked by the Jews, but he was delivered by being imprisoned. And how did he get to Rome? He got to Rome as a prisoner, but he was alive. So did he accomplish it the way he maybe thought it was going to be or hoped it would be? No. But he, he accomplished the ministry the way God had planned for it. And that was for him to be beaten, to be imprisoned, but then shipped to Rome for trial. Uh, he, uh, he was in a, you can call it a safe house, for a period of time in Rome, as I, as I recall. But no, he didn't get there the way he wanted to get there. But he got to Rome. Did he get to Spain? No, he never got to Spain. But he got to Rome. So God's plan for him was not the Spanish mission, if you will. But God's plan for him was in Rome and to, and to play a significant role in Rome. So the unbelievers in Judea, uh, they did get to him, but they didn't kill him. And then it goes on in verse 32, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now, was he, did he get there with joy and refreshment? Yes. And he had, he had a ministry in Rome for some time because he was not kept in a, in a cell away from people. People were able to come and go and to visit Paul. He was able to still uh, participate in his ministry. But that was God's plan. It didn't come out the same as Paul's plan. But God's plan was accomplished in uh, Paul's life. So that's a, I think that's a wonderful ending in the second half of chapter 15 to Paul's ministry and outline his ministry to the Gentiles. Now let's go to chapter 16 and we're going to finish this up. And in chapter, I don't know how many, I'm not even going to ask for a, a, a raise of hands. I was going to, but I don't want to do that. Hopefully, uh, many of you, if not all of you, read chapter 16. Because it's easy for me to get a chapter 16 and just kind of buzz through because of just a bunch of people being named. But you know what? It's, a, it's there for a purpose. And I think God has things for us in this. And hopefully we can capture this. And then I would like to have some people share here what part of the book of Romans, as we went through it, uh, maybe was special to you or had a special meaning to you. <clears throat> so let's... Uh, let's uh, um, breeze our way through chapter 16 a little bit. In the first two verses, we see a special commendation. We'll, we'll spend a little time on this. I commend to, your, to, to you our sister Phoebe. Now, just think of having your name for all eternity in the Word of God as being commended by the Apostle Paul. That's Phoebe's place. And what a, what a, what a neat thing. Um, but here, I think in this whole section, we see the outworking and makings of churches. Uh, he's going to commend 36 people, 26 people, pardon me, two families and three home churches in these verses in chapter 16. So just think of that, the number of people. And these are people that are in Rome that Paul knows. So look at the influence he's already had to the Roman church. 26 people, a couple families, and a couple uh, of uh, 
house churches, three house churches that are named here. And the first person we see here is Phoebe. Now, he says, I commend you our sister Phoebe. And the word there, I'm going to play on three words here, sister, servant, and patron. Because I think it's it's so crucial to see uh, what one person, in this case, a woman can be can do for the cause of Christ, and the word sister there is um, is the word um, Adelphe, Adelphe, and that is dear sister. So he's acknowledging her in, in a very intimate and personal way as a dear sister in Christ that he recommends to this church. Now she's obviously going there for a reason. She was she was Jewish. She's going back to Rome, and he wants the, the, the and he, he, he's done this in many other books with people too, but he wants that Roman church to receive her in the proper way. The second one is servant. Uh, diakonos is the word. Where do we get, what do we get from diakonos? Deacon. And she may be a deaconess here, but it's also a broader term of, of servants, people who are serving the Lord, and they're, 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 uh, they're, uh, uh, identified in this manner. It can be any servant, but here it is a specific thing to a specific person. So there's a good chance that she was a deaconess. And she had a leadership role in the, the church that she is being sent from. And then the final one was uh, is patron, or prostasis. And Wayne Grudem said this. Uh, I trust him, so I would, I would think this is, this is probably true. But it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a feminine noun, prostastis, pro, prostastis, yeah, prostastis. It's a feminine noun that has to do with a woman that's in a supporting role. So we see her as a dear sister. We see her as a, a, certainly a servant, maybe a deaconess. And we see her as somebody who is identified for specific role that uh, she has served in the church. And Paul has quite a commendation here, doesn't he, for her? And it goes on and says this, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So this supportive role that she had, she has had that supportive role of Paul and of many others. And I would guess there are probably people who, who were, were coming into whatever the community that she was at Corinth here and, uh, and uh, serving in a way that, that really helped them along on their way. So that's quite a commendation. You know, what commendation will we have as we pass on from this life? I don't know. But I would like to hope there is something in there that we, any of us, as we pass from this life, would be noted as being faithful. A faithful servant who can find. That we'd be faithful. And what we'll see in, in glory on the, uh, uh, from God, uh, only God knows. But that we'd be faithful. Then in verses 3 through 16, we see grading uh, saints who are in service. Those individuals, those families, those house churches. And... Um, uh, I'm just going to catch a bunch of the names here as we go through um, uh, this portion. But Priscilla and Aquila, or Prisca and Aquila, in verse 3. Now, those two show up repeatedly in Scripture. 
And in Acts 18, 1 through 3, and I'm going to read that quickly. Uh, this is Paul in Corinth. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife. Why? His wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them. So he's a tent maker. And then if we bounce down a little bit, we see Paul preaching here in verse 6, the last part of verse 6. He was opposed, he was reviled, he shook out his garments, he said, and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent, from now on I will go to the Gentiles. So that's the point when Paul uh, uh, dismissed the Jews and the ministry of the Jews and went to the Gentiles. And in verse 18 he said, after this Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brethren and set sail for Syria, and with him, Priscilla and Aquila. So Priscilla and Aquila were active uh, people too, as far as in the ministry of Paul. And he mentions them here as uh, special, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Why? Obviously, Paul is a, is a, uh, is a minister to the Gentiles, uh, they helped him here. So I'm not going to read through these names for the sake of time. But we see some here. We see uh, people who were well known to the apostles in verse uh, 7. And we see in verse 10 uh, people who were approved in Christ, who belonged to a family. So now we're talking about families. That's where the family comes in. The family of narcissists also in verse 11. And then we see in verse uh, 12, Trephinia and Trephosa, and greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. These are people who are hard workers for Christ, and he's acknowledging them. He also greets somebody in here in verse 13, and also his mother, because she had been a mother to him as well. And the, you know, the, a group of uh, people here and the brothers who are with them, so uh, probably another house church. And in verse 16 he says, And greet one another with a holy kiss, all the churches of Christ, greet you. So we just had the MBA men here, and we had about 150 men from a lot of churches. There was a lot of greeting going on. And that's the way it should be. As a church here, uh, where we hosted the, that the last two years, we are responsible as men and women in this church, whoever is working the activity, to be greeters to the men of Christ from other churches. That's important, to have those relationships have those trusts. I've got a couple pastors right now working on something, uh, a, a question that came up that I wanted to get their input on. It's nice to have that kind of connection with people that you can simply call up or text or whatever and ask, can you find me some information on this or give me your opinion on this? I treasure that kind of thing. We have a responsibility to do that, but even more so, we have a responsibility right here to greet each other. And not just the ones that we're popular with. Or not just the ones that, well, we know these two or three people well, so we'll just kind of you know, be in our own little clique. No. We need to spread out and greet people and be a part of people's lives. And as Paul goes on here, he goes on in verse 17, and um, we're seeing here the closing. He has three things. One is a warning. One is special greetings from people now. He, he was greeting special people there. Now he's... Greetings from special people he's sending. 
And then his last proclamation. So he says in verse 17, I appeal to you, brethren, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles. Remember we talked about the stumbling blocks here? Or was that last week or the week before? And he says, avoid them, for such persons do not serve Jesus Christ or our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. So he's given a warning here, and I think the warning, I would call this warning, a warning of heresy. Heresy is a deviation in doctrine. It doesn't mean they're unsaved, uh, but they're deviant in their doctrine. They have a, they have a, a secondary reason for how they want to present things, because it appeals to them. And so heresy is deviation and doctrine. Apostasy would be unsaved. Because then he says in verse 19, for, there's our word again, for, your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and, and innocent as to what is evil. That's a message for each, every one of us. We need to be about the things that are good, and we need to avoid the things that are evil. Because they corrupt our lives. We need to be about the things that are good, and wise about them, and innocent as to what is evil. And then he goes on in in verses 21 through 23, and he has another list of people here. Let's take a look at them quickly. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. Now, he's a Jew. Uh, matter of fact, I think he was a Jew with a Gentile, one Gentile parent. Am I right on that? Am I calling? Yep, thank you, Wayne. Uh, recalling that right. So he was, he was a person who had his own difficulties. But he's, my fellow worker greets you. Then he goes on and he talks about Lucius. And Lucius was uh, 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 a Cyrene uh, who was a part of uh, Paul's ministry. And he had Jason. Jason is another person who was a, a convert in Thessalonica that uh, greets these people. He's been a part of Paul's ministry. Uh, he was the first convert, I believe, in Thessalonica. Uh, Sosipater, and he was a Berean who was uh, also a fellow minister with, uh, uh, with Paul. And uh, he calls them their kinsmen. And then Tertius, he uh, wrote the letter. What, what is he? And then Amanuenses, he wrote the letter that Paul dictated to him. Uh, So he greets, and then Gaius. Now Gaius was a convert in Corinth, and he's greeting. So he's talking about people here that have been servants with him who are now greeting the people in in, uh, Rome. And then Erastus, the city treasurer. Now that's a unique one, because that would have been somebody with some political clout. In Corinth, very important person, and somebody with some political clout in Corinth, which I'm sure God used in uh, maybe n- many different ways. But he's a city treasurer, and then Quartus. Uh, so these are the people who are greeting the the, the people at Rome, much like when a, a pastor sends something to South Africa, or we send our offering, uh, uh, hopefully a good offering, to uh, Norris Bailey. And for the churches in, in Vietnam and the Philippines, that pastors sometimes will send a picture of the church or take a picture of our church people to South Africa with, with them. Why? To send our greetings to those people. And then many times he comes back with a video or pictures 
of the same. So these are special people that Paul is acknowledging at the end of the letter. And then he wraps it up. And he says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. Can we say that? Do we say the gospel, or can we tell people it's my gospel? We own it. We own the gospel. We own that broad umbrella we saw in chapter 5 of grace that is indicative of the times of the Gentiles that we're in. The local church is the institution. Grace, is, uh, we could say, is the, is the, the word of our, of our time, the times of the Gentiles. God's grace extended in so many ways that he has shown through the book of Romans here. Even when we go back to chapter 5 and we talked about uh, the death of babies or children or uh, the, the unborn that uh, are, are uh, miscarriages, things like this, that's all, I believe, under this umbrella of grace that God grants. And the fact that we are judged then for our own sin, we're judged for our own sin, and he says here, my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. Well, what's the mystery? Well, I think here we know the mystery of, this, of that, that day was the church. The church is still brand new here. The church is uh, at best probably 25 years old here. It's brand new. But that's the mystery that he's talking about. But I think it's even a little broader than that because this church age is the times of the Gentiles. That's part of the mystery. The mystery of Paul, a Jew, who was a Pharisee, taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Just think of that. We should be awful thrilled about this last paragraph, because we're in it. That was kept a secret for long ages. And then dropped down to just before verse 27. He, he gives an acknowledgement here to the prophetic writings and to the nation's according to the commandment of the eternal God, to what? To bring about the obedience of faith. Now, I stated that in our second lesson. The synergism of faith and obedience. If we're going to say we have faith in Jesus Christ and we're saved, there has to be, there has to be, as time goes on, a revelation in our life of showing that faith in our obedience to the Word of God. And Paul brings it right back here. Remember back in chapter 1, uh, verse 17b, we talked about the righteous out of his faith shall live. Those who are saved, the righteous, how are they going to show it? Out of the way they live. Do we live in a way that reveals our faith? That people can see now, we know faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, so it has to be spoken. But it, are we revelatory in how we live our life out? That's how Paul closes it. He started it that way. The issue of faith and obedience, he ends it that way. With the overriding theme of the gospel. Does anybody have a quick testimony to share on something in the book of Romans that... Uh, was a blessing to you or struck you in some way or maybe has even changed how you think in some way? Anybody want to share? You know, testimonies in our day and age just aren't there, and that, that's really kind of a sad, sad indictment on us. We should be sharing 
um, our faith verbally, especially amongst each other. So that's my little, uh, little stab there with the sharp stick. Anybody at all have anything they want to share? Yes, Ryan. Yeah, well, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. It's a long process, but then you get to the last two weeks here, I'm thinking, oh, it's almost over. But I've enjoyed it, but thank you. And hopefully God's pleased with it. Anybody else that wants to share anything? Okay. Yes. And I know that would be near and dear to you, and it, it almost makes me cry to hear that, but thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Anybody? No. Yeah. And that's why once we got to chapter 12, as we went on, I always referenced that verse because that sets up the whole end of the book, 12 through 16. Our responsibility. Yes. Anybody else? Otherwise, uh, uh, pastor's ready to preach. (laughs) Okay, you're dismissed. Thank you so much.